All your base are belong to us. Welcome to Fake Geek Girls, a podcast looking at nerdy pop culture from both a fan and critical perspective, encouraging the things we love to do better. I'm Missy, I'm a writer, and I am pretty (laughs) sure that the reason Trent coughs all the time is that he's a stoner, and they could only allude to that. Um, But because coughing in like TV and movies usually signifies the onset of a long-term illness, I could not stop thinking every time he did it. Trent has consumption. (laughs) When I read this, I just read, oh no. Trent has consumption. Oh, no. Trent, Trent has, has consumption. consumption. If you haven't watched Daria, that it's probably a very weird. Moment. Yeah. Uh, I'm Mary Mano Marketer, and I like Daria. <laughs> um, justice for Brittany. I think <laughs> that there was so much that could have happened with her, and she got done dirty. Um, because. Justice for bimbos. Mm-hmm. Bimbo, bimbo justice. Bimbo, bimbo rights. There's a really good um, creator on TikTok and Instagram. I think her name's Chrissy. And she does like, I guess you'd call it bimbo content. And it is very good. Um, it's it's very much justice for bimbos. And if you don't like bimbos, then you're dumb. <laughs> if you don't like bimbos, you're the real bimbo. It's true. Um, She's like... I can be hot and stupid and no one can tell me I can't. It's true. Yeah. Um, today we're talking about Daria. Uh, Daria is a show that began in 1997 as a spinoff of Beavis and Butthead, where Daria was the sarcastic and smart counterweight to the crassness and stupidity of the main characters. I was so tired of hearing, oh, you're doing Daria? Uh, Beavis and Butthead. No. That was like the immediate response. No. No. Beavis and Butthead is like repulsive to yeah, me I've, we would have said no i've seen a little bit of it and i was like Mm-mm, not Mm-mm. for me they they brought it back and did like a tiktok response like a they just responded to music videos and tiktoks or something i don't know my husband watched it oh. didn't seem very funny um daria is a misanthropic i actually don't know if i'm saying that right and i said i'm gonna look it up before i recorded and i didn't don't do it so bimbo right misanthropic i don't know that's how i'm gonna say it uh she's a misanthropic teenager who moves to a new town called lawndale with her family uh it's tempting to say she has trouble getting along with people at her new school but i don't think she actually has any trouble at all uh as a misanthrope uh she doesn't want to get along so she's perfectly content to not conform and really only be friends with jane an artist who shares many of daria's views but who also seems less rigid in them Mm -hmm. um it follows hey don't open a new program uh it follows a very sitcom format in that each episode is basically standalone and revolves around a short-term conflict that's typically exacerbated by one of the side characters daria's mother is helen a career woman who has more time for business than her family uh jake daria's father is a (laughs) weak-willed and neurotic man Quinn, Daria's fashion-obsessed and somewhat vapid sister. Uh, Trent, Jane's older brother, who Daria has a crush on, as well as a bunch of students as her at her high school that Daria typically loathes, with the exception of Jody, one of the school's only black students who is also academically gifted but much more sociable than Daria. Um, this, it's hard to sum up a sitcom uh, because different things happen every I episode. I think you did a good job. There's not a lot of like long-term plot. It's usually just like a situation because it's a sitcom is abbreviated form of situational comedy. There's a situation they react to in the episode and then the show goes on. There are some long term issues like Daria hooking up with Jane's ex- Jane's boyfriend while they're still together. Mm. Um, but 
we'll get into that kind of stuff later. Overall, it's a sitcom. The conflict is result is resolved within a single episode, if it's resolved at all. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about with Daria is the time period in which it originated. Now, full disclosure, I hate talking about generational differences. <laughs> I hate it. I understand that like there are real factors that shift the thinking of large groups of people depending on like the circumstances that they that they experience when they're young. I like I totally agree with that. That's yeah, absolutely. But it feels super generalizing to me, of course, to talk about like, oh, if you're a millennial, then you act this way. Um, not only that, there's this attempt to like pit one generation again mm-hmm. an- against another in a way that really irritates me. And like, I don't, I don't know. It just feels very similar to like the way that we use different forms of identity to like pit people against each other. And like, it- which is very millennial. No, just kidding. The, just kidding. The search to identify with a group as like a way of explaining yourself is like it's such a I don't know. It's I a think thing it can, that really frustrates me. I think it can give context in certain situations. So sure, like, um, the way that somebody may view a topic or a situation or anything like that may be different than another generation will, just based off of the like how they lived their life. But I don't think it's hard and rigid. And my favorite, absolute favorite thing is telling older millennials that they're millennials because they hate being called millennials. I just so like a good example of like an actual generational difference, and this is going to be a bit of a um a bit of a downer um but a good example of this to me is like there are fundamental generational differences we have one of our friends is younger than us um and we had a conversation (laughs) about 9-11 jokes Mm -hmm. and how they hit differently for somebody who is younger than us than somebody who is our age and also somebody who is older because like for me i was 12 ish when 9 11 happened well, older than that i moved here when i was 12 so i guess we probably were 13, 13. We're thir- we were in seventh grade we're in seventh grade so 14 13 or 14 yeah. i don't know whatever anyway i was like an i was like a preteen or like a very young teenager um and i remember like i turned on the tv 9 11 hap- like the second plane hit the second tower like as i turned on the tv it was a deeply strange we were in experience school, right? yeah this was before it was before class cuz i was at home oh you were at home i didn't find out till i was in class yeah i so i watched it happen and i was old enough to understand what was happening and for somebody for a friend who's you know seven years younger than me they were not old enough to understand what was happening in that moment even and that's assuming that they watched it live so they have a very different response to this like fundamental uh shaping experience that i had and therefore we have you know a different relationship to 9-11 jokes <laughs> and like listen the, the morality of joking about 9-11 i will leave up to the individual this just happened to be a conversation that we actually had about the generational differences of of growing up with a single very uh very big experience that that we experienced differently i remember almost that entire day vividly and i have bad memory yeah and it's just like i don't know again the the morality aside of whether or not these jokes can be funny it was just a really interesting moment of like we see this fundamentally differently because of how we experience this event anyway 
that's my point is that like, yes, generational differences exist because we experience things in different ways. But I do think that like a lot of uh, a lot of identity based like millennials, Gen Z, etc. is made up to sell people things, whether those are literal physical objects or ideas. So and I hate a, that. There's a really, really good example with like TikTok and the way that millennials um, interact with work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that that for me is getting really old um, of like, there's this one creator that it's very funny, but it's getting old because he just does the same jokes over and over again of like, oh, I sent an email, time to relax mm-hmm. and things like that. And I just, it's getting old. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's it's one of those like pet peeves that I have. And maybe that's such a millennial thing. Mm-hmm. But uh I, when I see when I see somebody say, "Oh, you're a millennial, so you do this." Most people use that wrong. First of all, first of all, most people use this the term and the ages of millennial as wrong. Yeah, if you're older, you're probably using millennial to at, at least until recently using millennial to describe young people, and it's not that anymore. Yeah, but also these categories are fake and made up. Anyway, uh, it feels very contrived. Nonetheless, I am going to talk about generational differences because I think it's really relevant to Daria and potentially to younger generations interacting with media from the 90s like Daria now. So because Daria aired when me and Mary were children and because it's animated, I think there's an assumption that Daria is for people like Mary and I, millennials who come smack in the center of the millennial age group. Mary and I were born in 1998. Uh, we 1988. Come, that's, oh, yeah. Sorry. 1988. We're not that young. Uh, we were born in 1988. We come kind of smack in, in the in the like kind of smack in the middle of like what is generally considered to be the millennial age group. Yeah. Well, it's certainly not impossible for us to have been watching Daria when it aired in 1997. We were about eight years old. <laughs> uh, I wasn't watching that. Yeah, I I didn't have cable. I'm more like I was more likely to try to watch South Park. Sure, so it, uh, it was huge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, we were about eight years old. We were not exactly the target demographic for a show about a teenage cynic. Even assuming that we watched it because it was a cartoon, we would not have got it. You know, I watched some of it. Sure. But but I remembered things like Brittany and Trent and Daria and her sister. Yeah. You might have remembered them. It might have been funny to you, but you wouldn't have really gotten it. You know, like it wouldn't have resonated. Uh, the oldest millennial who would have been born in 1981 was the same age as Daria, roughly, when it began when it began airing, and therefore more likely to identify with the character and what she was saying, but also p- people older than millennials who would fall into Generation X, which in some cases is said to have gone all the way to 1984. Again, generational differences are fake. Um, gen- this is my favorite to tell. I just love telling people born in 1984, like my husband and an old co-worker, you're millennial. Yeah, 1981 is yeah. It's Generation X falls somewhere between uh, 81 and 84. Yeah, but that's the thing again. Made up. Um, Generation X was also sometimes referred to as the MTV generation because they grew up with MTV as a major influence, including shows like Beavis and ButtHead, which were typically about slackers, cynics, and so on. The popularity of grunge, punk, and post-punk and similar genres of music uh, among this generation also speaks to a sort of disaffected attitude that was in defiance of much of the baby boomer generation. 
many of whom were politically active. They were hippies or otherwise countercultural. You know, uh, you see this with Daria's parents, who are now just typical parents, despite their political attitudes when they were younger. The 1980s, which when many Gen Xers were being born and coming of age, was a time of record high unemployment, rampant child poverty and financial austerity measures, which no doubt contributed to the feeling of nihilism among Gen Xers who had grown up immediately following this age of rebellion and free love only to find that things got worse. Hmm. Um, That said, though Gen X is typically associated with cynicism, studies have shown that it isn't a Gen X. It isn't that Gen X is uniquely cynical. Cynicism has just gone up over time. Hmm. So it's as much about rebellion against the earnestness and like, you know, quote unquote, loving everybody as a force of change mentality as it is the fact that like, fuck, it's hard to be optimistic in a world like ours. That's like, studies show that cynicism goes up over time not that gen x was cynical and everybody Mm -hmm. else is not um and another reason that i'm skeptical of generation distinctions the supposed cynicism of gen x was shared by most adults at the time and continues to be shared today with how gen gen z responds to millennial earnestness like of course boomerfication of gen z's have you heard that no Uh, mary i cannot stress enough how little i care if i see a headline like that (laughs) i will run the other way it's just talking about gen zers making fun of millennials Mm mm-hmm they call it the boomification. I simply don't give a shit what Gen Z has to say about me. I simply don't care. I think it's rude because overall, our generation has been like, yes, go Gen Z. Every generation has done that. And every no. generation rebels against the previous generation. I would I would disagree with that. I would say our older generations were really rude to our generation if we're going to use generation. I don't think that's true, Mary. You're looking at social media. You're not. No, I'm talking about like when I was in school and the, the experiences I've actually had like at workplaces. That's every generation. That every kids these days goes back to ancient Greece. No, are you saying that kids, like our older generation, was nicer to us? It's both. There's always this mentality of the kids are going to save us. The youth are all right, and then there's kids these days. This generation, because these mentalities are spread out across entire populations. Mm-hmm. There's no generalization. I don't know. People do the same thing to Gen Z now. Like, I remember there was this trend of Gen Z kids on TikTok marching toward the camera and like pretending they were going to solve a dystopia. And they were getting relentlessly mocked on social media. Really? And it's like, oh, these kids are these kids think they're really doing something. And it's like, okay, so we're we're just doing the same thing every generation. See, I don't. Before I us. Just, maybe it's just being in different spaces online because I don't see that. Well, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. Is it's not there's no unified. We can't say that we are nicer to Gen Z than than Gen X was to us. We can't say. Yeah, that. I guess it's just not my experience. Yeah, it's uh, because there's as many people in a single generation as there are in the next generation. I guess generations are getting smaller because people are having fewer children, but. Other than that, like everybody mocks the generation below them. Everybody yes. venerates the generation below them. Hmm. It's just it's been going on since the dawn of time. I definitely agree that people like are rude to the generation below them when that's just always happens. I just haven't experienced myself the opposite. I, there's also like because there's that ongoing mentality of the youth are going to save us, and I think that's been going on at least like as far as I'm looking back, probably to like the '60s. Like it's there is no unified like front there is because like, do you agree with every single thing that people say about millennials? Absolutely not. Right. 
and that's the thing is like there is no unifying like we might respond to certain things in certain ways but that doesn't mean that like what somebody says is true it's just that people exist in certain contexts interesting i'd have to think more on it um anyway where was i i don't know the, so anyway, the supposed cynicism of Gen X was shared by most adults at the time and continues to be shared today with how Gen Z responds to millennial earnestness. Like, of course, major events have an impact on the values and attitudes of people who live through them at various stages of their lives. But I'm just cautious about leaning too hard on generations as explanations or predictors of different things. So anyway, Daria, uh, if we embrace at least the impression that Gen X, which Daria, the, the fictional character, would have belonged to, and Gen Xers were likely to be working on the show, like the, the, mm-hmm. the show was not made by 16-year-olds, right? Daria was younger than the people making her. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it is likely that if we allow for generational distinctions, Gen Xers were working on the show. Uh, so, uh, so if, you know... If we embrace at least the impression that Gen X, which Daria, the fictional character, would have belonged to, even if the audience did not, I think we can see how it's very much a show situated within that specific subculture. Daria aired in the mid-90s to early 2000s and was targeted at a young audience, uh, which would have grown up with parents who may have been feminists, hippies, and anti-capitalists, but likely with the specific earnestness of baby boomers. They They would have been part of the baby boomer generation, which was, you know, the origin of things like the hippie subculture pushing for uh, like uh second wave feminism like this is this originates with boomer culture i know we don't like to hear it i know you're sitting there going no 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 the boomers are all bad no 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 (laughs) that's when the stuff originated we can't just apply boomer to mean like oh did a bad thing um it of course it becomes frustrating when you realize oh you did all this when you were young and now you're part of the system that yeah that's that's part of the cynicism uh anyway we can see that just this is a whole episode for me to just go off on generation i really hate it i can't stress stress enough how much i don't hate it like me does i think it i think it is really interesting to look Uh, at different generations uh, categories are fake anyway um we can see this distinct and Daria's parents who seemed to veer back and forth about being caught up in late 20th century life and wondering where they went wrong to now be the man that they fought so hard against. Uh, The youth of this era didn't necessarily believe the world was right and good and not in need of improvement, hence the rise of grunge, the popularity of punk, and so on, but they were less convinced than their parents that it was possible to change it. That's where that earnestness versus cynicism comes in, right? Mm -hmm. If 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 the previous generation spent so much time and energy trying to fix the world and the world still looks like shit, of course you're going to be cynical, Right. Um, so this is a quote, or actually, this is discussed in uh, this quote from Innuendo Studios video, uh, COVID's the 90s neoliberal fantasia as experienced by Doria Morgendorfer, Daria Morgendorfer, millennial. Um, and this is a quote from that. The show's argument was that 90s teenage c- cynicism makes sense as a response to a flawed and corrupt world that does not appreciate you at an age where you have little means of changing it. Um, the host goes on to list a number of terrible things that happened in the 90s, despite how nostalgia clouds our, clouds our perception of the decade. Uh, kids and teens of the 90s would have been aware of things like the hole in the ozone layer or war overseas, but wholly unable to stop them. I know Mary had this experience and I had this experience of somebody coming to school and teaching you about how bad it was to throw things in the garbage <laughs> and how good recycling was. And it just became clear. We could not convince our parents to not no. generate trash. But we did make the ozone layer smaller. The hole in the ozone we layer We did smaller. not. That was legislated. 
Wow. Climate catastrophes can be averted if political systems will make an I effort. I don't mean like we. I mean like this time period at we that, that led to. Yes, but the thing the thing is, the thing that I want to make clear is it's not that people stopped using hairspray. Yes. It was that the chemicals in hairspray and other things, th- those things were legislated out of legality. So it really isn't necessarily that kids save the world. It's that everybody realized we were all going to die if the hole in the ozone layer got any got any larger and therefore legislated those things out of existence. Unfortunately, we're not doing that as as much. No. <laughs> Um. So but the noise, the noise helps. The noise certainly helps. Yes, yes, yes. yes. But I want to make clear: throw, throw soup at, at yeah painting. I want to make clear that it th- it's not that people stopped using hairspray or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not that kids did it because unfortunately, kids didn't do it. Kids cannot stop their parents from throwing garbage away. I definitely could not stop my mom from using paper plates and still cannot. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I mean. Yes. Is that's where that sense of cynicism and disaffectedness comes from because you're aware of these things. People are putting the onus on you to change it, but you have very little societal societal power to do anything about it, to do anything meaningful. Um, Daria, as a show about this age group, which the host defines as millennial, but I would include Gen X. He discusses this in the video, but as I said, generational divides are made up. Um, uh, this video deals with the frustration of knowing the world is terrible, but having no power to do anything about it other than to snark and be sarcastic and hope that you get through to somebody. Thus, we get disaffected youth culture, which rose to prominence, especially with the Richard Linklater film Slackers, mm-hmm. but also with shows like Beavis and Butthead and, of course, Daria. So this is a quote from The Lost Generation Fostered by MTV by Kendris Frederick, who uh, is writing about a speech that Fiona Apple gave at the VMAs so in 1997. So the world is bullshit, Fiona Apple said in her acceptance speech for Best New Artist. And you shouldn't model your life about what you think what you think that we think is cool and what we're wearing and what we're saying and everything. Go with yourself. It was met with sprinkles of awkward yet somehow spirited applause from an audience that was likely only half paying attention to the words Apple was uttering. With Criminal, she had a massive song on the radio accompanied by an equally mesmerizing and highly sexualized music video that hurtled her right into the mainstream. And yet this image of her that we clung to is so so fanatically wasn't who she was or ever wanted to be, but none of that mattered. The VMAs were an opportunity for young people, both at home and in the audience, to attend a pop cultural event that was tailor-made for us to ogle and devour, then spit out minutes later when we moved on to another unfulfilling distraction. The 90s were rampant with these moments and particularly influential to a generation that lacked an identity and tried exhaustively to emulate pop culture. We unequivocally looked up to pretty much anyone on screen, and MTV took that thirst to the next level. Listen, MTV was what i watched that was it so yeah i fell on this Mm -hmm. it was what i watched everything i watched was on mtv until i got a little older than was mtv and fuse yeah (laughs) so for a little background here frederick is writing about when fiona apple won a vma which used and used the platform to make a speech about not fitting into the crowd and this was in 1997 the year that daria premiered to be uh just one thing i noticed they literally used the song that she won this award for in the original version of daria um I believe she's talking about the music industry with, quote unquote, this world, which she says, but she could also be speaking more broadly about our culture, which through channels like MTV promotes certain body types, ideas, clothes, and other things, even when it seems to represent the counterculture. Mm -hmm. MTV is not your friend. 
Cartoon Network is not your friend. Adult Swim is not your friend. Uh, people weren't huge fans of the speech. Some no doubt liked it, but most seemed to find it baffling at best. So weird. Uh, and though she was an up and coming artist, a lot of people turned against her and were extremely nasty to her after she did That's this. so interesting because I feel like now it would have a very different response. I don't know. Are you sure about that? Why do you think? If that you were way? countercultural enough, I'm thinking about things like Joaquin's Joaquin Phoenix made a speech about uh, climate change, I believe, and I people guess, were yeah. like, "Why the fuck are you talking about this? You're an actor. Shut the fuck I up. Guess, what yeah, do you know?" If you take it and talk about it in different contexts, yeah. yeah, I would agree. I would totally agree with that. But if we're talking about like this pop culture and it, uh, this is a, this is why it baffles me. It's really easy. It's like really easy to be like, yeah. Well, the thing is, maybe this wasn't something you talked about in 1997. Now everybody's talking about it all the time. Yeah, so that's but, why I think it's interesting that how much has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, the VMAs remain one of the few award shows targeted at a younger audience. And Apple used what time she had to essentially make a plea to that audience to not swallow what they were being fed. But as Fredericks argues in this piece, her plea didn't work. And Daria was part of that, too. On the one hand, Daria, the character, espouses a lot of the same points of view as Fiona Apple. And that's because Fiona Apple is really good and cool and awesome. It's true. Uh, that is just a fact that's a that's a that's a statement of fact here from me melissa the one thing Um, that missy can just get behind wholeheartedly is fiona apple i mean there are more but she's done she's done she's done some not so great stuff but you know what fetch the bolt cutters is a good ass album (laughs) uh the show even used fiona apple on its soundtrack and while i'm sure the creators of the show did believe at least to some degree in daria's anti-consumerist among other things uh, her anti-consumerist views. Because this is a mainstream show on a mainstream network, it also functioned as a means of selling ideas the same way that Fiona Apple was calling out on the same network in her speech. You have to wonder how much people took away from Daria. Was it the anti-consumerism, the misanthropy, and the cynicism? Or was it a uniform for a different type of cool girl? I think this is so interesting because when I think back on to our high school experience and the way that um, we dressed and the things that we liked, I don't know if you call it counterculture. I never would have, but for the lack of a better word, right? I'll call it counterculture and people being like, oh, you want to be so different, but you're all wearing the same thing. It was like we were literally being sold a form of counterculture. Exactly. If we, if you can buy it at Hot Topic, I'm sorry, it's not counterculture. Yes. And I'm saying this to myself as well. Yes. Like, if I can buy it at a mainstream store, capitalism has superseded the critique of itself. It has absorbed its own critique and is selling it back to me. I would like to point out, though, that we got most of our clothes from a thrift store. I didn't. I got a lot of my clothes, much to my mother's up being upset <laughs> about it. I did not. Um, so what is Daria all about? Um, there are a lot of words you could use to describe Daria the character. A few of the popular ones are sarcastic, nihilistic, pessimistic, misanthropic, anti-consumerist, feminist. Wikipedia even throws out diogenian, uh, queer. Never had heard of that word before. In multiple senses. And from the show itself, misery chick. I want to go through all of these and just not all of these. I did cut a couple of them because the <laughs> outline was quite long. Um, so we're going to go through a lot of those and discuss briefly what each one means briefly uh, because they're briefly for <laughs> Missy. Uh, because they're easy, including for me to mix up and how they are functioning in the context of Daria and see if we can get at the heart of what is interesting about Daria as we do this. So first, let's talk about sarcasm. 
It feels a bit ridiculous to explain sarcasm, but we're going to do it anyway. Sarcasm is the deliberate use of humor, rudeness, and often irony to express ambivalence, disdain, or similar feelings about a given situation. Sarcasm is mostly expressed through the voice. It is hard to detect only (laughs) through text, and people employing it often speak slower and at a deeper level than they do when not speaking in sarcasm. In fact, being sarcastic sounds a lot like doing a half-hearted Daria impression. (laughs) So for example, Mary, I would like you to ask me about my feelings on generational distinctions like millennials Uh, (laughs) (laughs) tell me about your feelings about distinction between generations oh i think they're so great Wow. Wow. So notice how when I make a sarcastic response, I lower my voice, I flatten my voice, and I speak slower. That's an indication that I'm being sarcastic. Uh, Sarcasm is not looked at particularly well by literary theorists. It's considered a low and crude form of humor. Oscar Wilde once said that it's the lowest form of wit, but the highest form of intelligence. So funny. Which, again, is interesting in the context of Daria, who is more intelligent than most of the people around her, but not necessarily the funniest. Uh, now, I don't know what Oscar Wilde meant entirely by this quote, other that other than that, in true Oscar Wilde fashion, he was likely being sarcastic. Uh, <laughs> but many reasons people cite for sarcasm not being a particularly witty type of humor are that it's easy to achieve. It's often as simple as stating the opposite of what's true in a deadpan voice. And it's predicated upon humiliating another person. The point of sarcasm is to say, what a stupid question or how stupid you're being. That is generally speaking, how sarcasm is used. Uh, But it's also easy to miss, hence the second part of the quote. It's telling that most of the people around Daria don't get her humor because they are not intelligent enough to see that she is being sarcastic and therefore mocking them. If the the creators of the show really didn't trust the viewer, we would have definitely seen her looking straight into the camera multiple times and be like, this is sarcasm. It would have invented the the Jim looks at the camera in the office. Um, It's a form of humor that can be entirely missed if you're not paying attention and can be skillfully used by the intelligent, but also, in addition to, the arrogant. Uh, while Daria doesn't have everything in her life figured out, I would s- figured out. I would say that she is arrogant. Her only real weak spot initially is her crush on Trent. Though as things go on, we do see her being on less sure footing, such as when Jane starts dating Tom and start and Daria starts being nasty about it for no real reason. Sarcasm is not my preferred method of communication, but I do it. It isn't like <laughs> like everybody else. <laughs> like everybody else, I'm everybody sometimes else. sarcastic. I don't love that fact about myself, but you know what? It's true. Um, Daria's reliance on sarcasm is, is itself not particularly funny to me, but sometimes the ways that she uses sarcasm are. She's not always just stating the opposite of what's true. Sometimes she goes a step further and uses her dry sense of humor to make a broader point. I think it is undeniable that Daria is sarcastic. Yes? Yes. So let's move on from there. <laughs> We've established Daria is sarcastic. Let's talk about nihilism. Nihilism is something that you've heard me go off about before, and that's because sometimes I use the wrong words and get upset about the wrong thing. Another fact about me. Uh, nihilism is very... Not keep you up at night. Yes. Nihilism is very simply the belief that nothing in life matters. As we discussed in the episodes on The Matrix, there's a meme that perfectly addresses this attitude. In nihilism, nothing matters. Sad face. Or... 
Nothing matters. Cool thumbs up. Our conversation on this was so good. It's very enlightening. Yeah. Uh, what nihilism isn't is apathy, which is not having any feelings about anything. Nothing can matter and you can still feel profoundly moved by things. Nihilism can mean different sets of beliefs in different contexts, but here we're going to go with a very standard definition, which is the belief that nothing has intrinsic meaning. That doesn't mean that nothing is meaningful. It means that nothing has intrinsic meaning. Meaning is constructed by and for us, not by some outside force. This is a quote from What Nihilism Is Not by Nolan Gertz. If nihilism and pessimism are opposites, then nihilism is actually much closer to optimism. To see the glasses half full is to think that we should be happy with what we have rather than focusing on what is missing. But being happy with what we have can also be a way of remaining complacent, of ignoring what is missing so as to avoid having to seek change. Similarly, to believe that everything will work out in the end, that there is always light at the end of the tunnel, is to believe that life is teleological, that there is some goal or purpose, whether God or justice, operating invisibly behind what we do but sorry, behind what we experience. This article does a great job of disentangling nihilism from assortment of related worldviews and philosophies such as pessimism, apathy, and cynicism, and we'll probably return to that later. But this part, which suggests a couple of things, I think is really great for helping us understand Daria in relation to nihilism. So Gertz suggests that nihilism is opposite to pessimism, which sounds counterintuitive, right? If nothing matters, at first glance, it doesn't seem to make sense that a nihilist would disagree with pessimism, which suggests a person who always looks at things in a negative light and believes the worst will happen. But as Gertz points out, pessimism and optimism are both to some degree teleological, which is a worldview that suggests that a meaning suggests a meaning or purpose behind things that happen. If you believe that the worst will happen, that's a teleological belief and therefore incompatible with nihilism. Because if you believe that the worst will always happen, you believe that something causes the worst to happen. Whatever that is, it could be God, it could be karma, it could be a force of justice, whatever it is, it's teleological. So would a nihilist believe that it doesn't matter what happens? Um, well, yes, but it also nihilism is the rejection of meaning. Therefore, you can't be a pet. You can't be purely pessimistic or purely optimistic and also be a nihilist. Um, I don't believe that Daria is really a pessimist. I don't because of the way that like when she starts to actually like some of the conversations specifically that she has with Quinn. Mm-hmm. I like she clearly cares about Quinn. Right. Yeah. And she has comforted her in the way. In, in the like in the most Daria ways possible, but she's still like comforting her. Well, I want to be clear: you can be a pessimist and still care about people. We have to disentangle that idea too. To be a pessimist means to believe that the worst will happen. I don't know if she thinks the worst will happen. That's what I'm saying. I don't yeah. think she's a pessimist. Um, we'll talk more about pessimism later. Uh, she expresses pessimistic beliefs at times, but that doesn't. She doesn't strike me as a character who's walking around in despair. She also doesn't strike me as an optimist. Anytime she's looking on the bright side, it's typically sarcastic. Yes. Like you could see, like they get in a car wreck, and mm-hmm. I make I'm making this example up. At least I broke my leg. <laughs> it's just it's not really looking on the bright side. Um, but the real question for me, knowing what we know about nihilism and Daria, is whether Daria is really a nihilist. Uh, Gertz uses an example from Annie Hall, which I have not seen, but it sounded like a good example, so I'm going to use it anyway. Um, 
he uses this example to demonstrate how the presence of a pessimist can force the identification of a nihilist. So Woody Allen's character in Annie Hall asks this beautiful, happy looking couple on the street if they're happy and why they're happy. And when confronted with that question, they confess that they're both shallow and empty and have nothing to (laughs) say and then continue on their way. By confronting two people with a pessimistic attitude, he doesn't believe that they're really happy because he doesn't believe anybody can really be happy. He forces them to acknowledge that the appearance of love between them is not particularly meaningful. So therefore, the presence of a pessimist inspires the outing of a nihilist. This could have been a Jaria episode where she goes up to um, Brittany and Kevin Mm-hmm. and asks that question and causes a, a crisis a school-wide a cr- crisis yeah absolutely uh if i oh sorry i don't know if we have enough of daria's perspective to say definitively if she is a nihilist she certainly sees through the facade of other things other of things other people find important and we do see her engaging with philosophy that means that she's probably informed about nihilism she's reading being a nothingness by jean-paul sartre um i know she reads others that's just the one where i was like being a nothingness who is that by um <laughs> But I don't know. Despite that, I still, despite that, I still feel like it's difficult for me to definitively say, yeah, I think Daria is a nihilist. If I disambiguate the show from the character, I think the show may be nihilistic in that it pokes holes in the mainstream attitude. But I do wonder whether it's assigning meaning elsewhere rather than rejecting meaning entirely. I think that's true. Um, but you know, Daria's a teenager. I don't expect perfect nihilism from a teenager, and I certainly don't expect it from a show that aired on MTV, whatever MTV might have meant at the time. I wrote a whole section about misanthropy and I did not look up how to say it. Would you it. like me to look it up? Um, I'm going to do it. It's too late. Okay. I'm committed to pronouncing it differently every single time it comes up. So bear with me. Misanthrope. Okay. I was really off. Misanthropy. Uh, mis- misanthrope. Okay. Well, I'm going to do my best here. Misanthropy is a general dislike for humanity that focuses on humanity's flaws, such as intellectual flaws, stupidity, lack of curiosity, moral flaws, cruelty, indifference, and aesthetic flaws, vulgarity, lack of sensitivity to beauty, etc. It's also related to philosophical pessimism, which we can get more into later, and antinatalism, which is the belief that humans should abstain from procreation because existing is bad and nobody chooses to be born into this world. So, is Daria misanthropic 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 that's the word she certainly acts that way i found it really really hard to relate to daria in the first season in particular because so much of her humor was dependent on her dislike for other people in a way that came off as elitist and i am simply not about that unless it is jack antonoff disliking jack jack antonoff i did it first you are an are an elitist there was something else that was really strange oh i can be an elitist about weird things yeah i can be an elitist i'm not i'm not saying i'm perfect i can certainly be an elitist about elitist about things but when it comes to intelligence missy (sighs) hates it i hate hates intelligence (laughs) i hate intelligence no i hate i hate the idea that like being smart and hating people is something good yeah um missy is not a pessimist no i am Really? I have I have a strong tendency toward pessimism. Uh, I think that to a certain point, Daria can be said to be uh, misanthropic. But as the show goes on, I think that's less true. I agree. Which I think is a good thing. That represents growth. Sorry, folks. I don't find misanthropy to be a particularly interesting or intellectual position, despite how it's often portrayed. Uh, so as Daria grows older and is challenged more by people like Jody and Jane, I start to like her more because she's no longer seeing herself as correct all the time. 
I think it was really easy for her to be. I think it was shows really a lot of growth, but it was forced growth because she, before she was surrounded by people who who th- those who were smart, like her mother essentially wasn't around right and mm-hmm. then the other people that she was around it sounded like at her old school and obviously her brother or her brother her her dad and her sister are not on the same level she is when it comes to like the things that she enjoys intellect intellectually but when she gets to a point where she finds those people who are on the same level for her and who do challenge her that's when she breaks that cycle yeah so this is a quote from You're Standing on My Neck, Feminist Cynicism and Queer Antisociality in MTV's Daria by Robin Alex McDonald, who writes, Not to be confused with antisocial personality disorder, the discursive category of psychiatric diagnosis defined by the antagonization and manipulation of others, to call someone or something antisocial within queer theoretical discussions is to suggest that it is against the social or in opposition to the rights and norms of the status quo. For example, in No Future, Edelman rails against the contemporary Euro-American emphasis on reproductive futurian futurism, sorry, reproductive futurism. That is the positioning of heterosexual biological reproduction as the only foreseeable means, sorry, only see this text is really small, only feasible means of repopulation. Edelman thus denounces any forward-looking politics of hope, which he suggests prioritizes an imagined then and there over the here and now, often to the detriment of those living in the present. So there's a few things to unpack here. First, this essay is about Daria as a queer character in both the common use and academic sense. The author talks a lot about the fandom shipping Daria and Jane and why that may be, but also Daria is queer because of the threat she and the show represent to normative culture yeah like even in her in her future she doesn't have kids right right and that again this isn't queer queer as in sexual or gender identity this is queer as in oppositional um here mcdonald brings in the idea of being antisocial not as a personality disorder or even necessarily as a personality trait but as a conscious position within queer theory that opposes that opposes the status quo. McDonald also ties this into mainstream society's procreation drive, which suggests that heterosexual reproduction is the future of society, even at the expense of people currently living. Daria, McDonald suggests, opposes that through her or and its in the case of the show, because we're talking about Daria the show and Daria the character. Um, through that rebellion and refusal to conform to, soci- to societal expectations, Daria questions why we do the things we do and hopefully illuminates that our desire to do those things often stems from nowhere at all. Her antisocial tendencies or her mis- misanthropy represents not just a bad attitude or whatever, but a rejection of the social rules that govern society because of their negative consequences. Essentially, Daria is like a burr that's like causing discomfort and causing everybody who interacts with her to confront uncomfortable possibilities. And that's why a lot of people don't like her because like when it comes to her parents, she's, she's like, Hey, remember all that shit you used to believe in that isn't important to Mm -hmm. you anymore. She's the living reminder of that. She's also because she isn't very social, not necessarily antisocial, but because she isn't very social, she is potentially a marker of their failure as parents, which we see in one of the last, I think the last episode of the show. And that causes, you know, friction between them. And she has an internal, yeah yeah but like we see it beyond uh daria as well like when Brittany starts asking questions that are like about global warming or something like that Mm -hmm. and the tutor's like oh my god what are you doing you can't be a cheerleader anymore yeah (laughs) it was quite funny or if uh if something isn't cute then it can't be in the fashion club 
Yeah. Like, and not just like clothing wise. Yeah. It's this, uh, th- when, when McDonald uses queer here, it doesn't have to mean literally that Daria like is, has attraction to other women or that Daria is not cis. Um, the author is using it here to talk about Daria as this like, um, pushback on norms in every sense. Um, so Daria definitely isn't fond of most of the people around her. But I think as the show goes on, it starts to reveal that she does not hate them. She actually starts responding to people a lot better. That's what makes me think that while misanthropy is certainly part of D- Daria's whole deal, to only call her uh, mis- <laughs> misanthropic uh, would be inaccurate. <laughs> we didn't look up that one. <laughs> we didn't look up that one. <laughs> Uh, I think it's important that Daria realizes that while individual people can be annoying or downright terrible, there there are usually reasons for that. And individual individual people can also be kind and good and worth knowing. To that end, I appreciate the fact that the popular kids, and mostly Kevin and Brittany, are not actually mean most no. of the time. This matches with my high school experience for the most part, and it eliminates the really irritating dynamic that a lot of teen shows push between the popular kids and everybody else. This conflict between them is not because the popular kids are mean and the smart kids are good. It's because they have fundamentally different worldviews. And it's not like Daria can be fucking mean, too. I think we see Daria be mean more than we see Kevin or Brittany. Anytime that Brittany or Kevin, specifically Brittany is mean, it's not vicious or like malicious. It's things like, oh, Daria, you're so weird looking, but I'll invite you to my party anyways. Yeah. It's like she's not being. Yes, that's mean. Right. But she's not like, ew, you're gross. But I guess she's more like. Oh, you don't look like you're really pretty. And so I'll do a really nice thing and I'll invite you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it's still not nice, but it's also not coming from a place of malice it's in the from same a place way of like ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> um that's why justice for Brittany. <laughs> Kevin and Brittany aren't smart. Sometimes they do mean things, but they're not like calculated evil the way that a lot of shows depict popular kids. I'd be really curious, since we went to a relatively small school, what these kind of d- dynamics would be like at a school like that's in a big city. Yeah. If these dy- if first of all, do these di- dynamics of like popular kids, non-popular kids exist? And if they do, do they exist within different cliques and things like that? Because when they're so huge, how do you do this? I would imagine that it would fall even more into this, into what we see here of like, there's not necessarily like popular kids who are mean and evil. And then the other kids, you know what I mean? That, like what you were saying, I'm saying in, in um, high school movies, I think it'd be really interesting to see if in a big school like that, does that really exist? Yeah. Like looking at our high school, like specifically the prom king and queen were two really smart kids that yeah. everybody liked. And they were like v- voted. It was almost kind of like um, the people who were quote unquote popular didn't really care about getting that. Right. Yeah. There was a group of hot, mean people at our school. Yeah. Like they existed, but they weren't popular because they were mean. Yeah. Um, I can tell you that my husband was homecoming king. And um, I mean, he was pretty popular, but I wouldn't call him the hot jock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there's this there's this idea in media that like popular people are hot and mean. And that isn't necessarily that doesn't necessarily correspond that to reality. Super doesn't, especially the hot part. Yeah. Um that that idea that Kevin and Brittany aren't smart um is they're they're not they're not smart and they're sometimes mean but they're not calculated evil feels less uh, misanthropic to me than the average teen show which tends to paint popular kids as outright villains. Mm-hmm. 
Um, this is another quote from your standing on my neck, feminist cynicism and queer antisociality in MTV's Daria by Robin Alex McDonald. Um, throughout the series, rare moments occur where Daria herself admits to be admits to her faltering antisocial stance. In season four, episode eight of Daria titled Psychotherapy, Daria confesses to a therapist that she is, quote, so defensive that she actually works to make people dislike her so she won't feel bad when they do, unquote. Although queer antisociality entails much more than determining whether or not a person is likable, Daria's expressed ambivalence toward notions of belonging or even community are perhaps more productive than either its stark antisocial stance or a rights-based approach to giving acceptability to giving yeah, to giving acceptability queer subjects a place at the political table. Tim Dean suggests that homosexual desire shatters, quote, the imu- the imaginary identifies identities through which we recognize ourselves and others and in this sense does not herald sorry this is really hard to read it's really small missy um, loves to get the small text it's missy because loves that s they're they're published in small text that st uh tim dean suggests that homosexual desire shatters quote the imaginary identities through which we recognize ourselves and others unquote and in this sense does not herald the quote end of sociality but rather its inception unquote uh, remember, when D- McDonald uses antisocial, it has a more specific meaning of being against social norms, not just not liking social interaction. Queer antisociality is the is the deliberate disruption or refusal to engage with social norms. So here, McDonald brings up that Daria herself, as the show goes on, brings up that she knows her attitude is also a constructed thing that she acts on because she doesn't want to be rejected. Daria's refusal and ambivalence toward engaging with society on society's terms are what takes her from just a misfit to a sort of political actor. Whether or not we assign any value to her behavior is up to us, and we'll return later to how effective it is and what it means for Daria specifically to resist joining society versus other people. Um, So is Daria um, (laughs) a misanthrope? Misanthrope. I don't know. You can't say it correctly. I don't know which one. I know. I don't know what's right anymore. Well, we can't speak in absolute terms, right? Uh, Yeah, I think it's impossible. I think she changes. Despite her, like, I think if you watch this and you're like, oh, I think it's easy to watch it and be like, she doesn't change, but I think she does change a lot through the whole show. And so I think it's it's just difficult to to pin that down on a teenager. Yeah. Um, Obviously, she likes Jane, so she doesn't hate all people. I think, generally speaking, Daria is a a social person who doesn't hate people, but she has very little patience for bullshit. Yeah. Um, But then again, if you told me Daria became an antinatalist as an adult, I wouldn't be surprised. I can totally see Daria being like, it's it's unethical to bring children into the world because they don't consent to exist. Yeah, I'd buy that. Definitely. Yeah. It would not be surprising whatsoever, but it wouldn't be surprising the opposite either. For me, of her being like, yeah, I want to have kids. Uh, misanthropic is not an inaccurate word to describe her, but the antisocial connotation is, I think, incorrect in this case. I totally agree with that because we see her <laughs> socialize with so yeah, many people all I think, the time. I think, and I, I mean antisocial in the, the common use of like not liking to interact with people. Yeah. I think she is antisocial in the sense that she represents a kind of burr that irritates other people yes. into thinking about things they wouldn't otherwise think about. People um, don't like that. No. Um, so now I want to talk about anti-consumerism. 
Um, I've chosen anti-consumerist very deliberately because while there are brief mentions of capitalism in the show, I think it's more focused on consumerism than capitalism. Consumerism and capitalism go hand in hand, but consumerism can mean both the protection or promotion of the desires of consumers or more negatively, the obsession of society with acquiring consumer goods, which results from consumerism and capitalism. So this is a quote from uh, Nihilism, Alienation, and the Birth of Trash Journalism, MTV's Daria by Neela Neela Guo. Um, The show is unique for the nihilism that, very much like its feminism, is delivered in frequent and delightful jabs. The show's setting is possibly the root of Daria's nihilism, a humdrum middle-class suburban town called Lawndale. This fictional town is outwardly nothing more than a a mildly pea-brained yet harmless colony of capitalism-worshipping residents, a moral and intellectual wasteland. It's the kind of place where where high schools hold elaborate ceremonies for graduated football players in mockery of their existence as fundamentally (laughs) educational entities. Only an outsider with a moral compass like a brick wall, read Daria, is able to see Lawndale for the capitalistic rat race that it is. Throwing ethical values under the bus for the sake of material gain is a survival mechanism in Lawndale, a charade only Daria refuses to engage in. So Guo identifies Lawndale as capitalism worshipping, which I think is accurate. Um, The two go hand in hand, but most individuals are not actually capitalists, even if they believe in capitalism as a superior economic system, because most people do not own the means of production or have the amount of money required to invest in trade. Capitalism certainly has a presence in Daria, especially in episodes like Fizz Ed, where after a property tax increase vote fails, the, the principal makes a deal with a marketing company to essentially have a soda company sponsor the school. Daria is one of the only people to voice opposition to it because a meeting about the move is set for Super Bowl Sunday, uh, but is ignored. She brings up how often this episode. I know it's a really good episode. She keeps bringing up how awful it is, but nobody listens. And Principal Lee comes up with a with more and more egregious methods of getting people to buy soda until she finally has a psychotic break. <laughs> um, obviously, this is an exaggerated story, but I think it's got a, I think it's a good one. Like it shows how public schools are dependent on public funding yeah. and the struggle of finding funding when it means higher taxes taxes for voters and i think this was a common thing happening around that time it still is yeah yeah no you're right it still is it definitely still (laughs) i can't tell you in my community how many people complain about the school systems and then say do not vote for property tax increases yeah but like the but bringing other companies in and stuff Mm -hmm. to sell stuff i think i i don't know when it started but i would i would imagine that it at least if it had started earlier would have been talked about more and more around this time even just the the pressure from the dairy industry that everybody drink milk oh my god well missy the generation z will never (laughs) understand got milk they won't or a milk mustache and that's good because a milk is milk is gross it all this episode also shows how important that funding is with the outdated equipment teachers are forced to use though principal lee is generally speaking not a character we root for in any sense and it takes seeing the outdated football equipment for her to take action since sports are usually money makers for schools mm-hmm. um there's also a recognition of the struggle to keep a school funded when the public doesn't want to and the soda marketing spirals out of control and it's everywhere everywhere that the, the students look 
This episode ends up being haunting. And in my opinion, one of the episodes where you could make the strongest argument for the show and Daria taking an anti-capitalist viewpoint because it is critical not just of individuals for buying products, but of the system that is feeding off of those people. It felt like one of the first times Daria really voiced this opinion that we already felt like she had where she really stood in her ground. Yeah, this is wrong. She continues to go on and do it other places, but I think this is where she did it the best. Yeah. Um, Daria's presence in this episode is to repeatedly ask why something people whose lives are constantly filled with advertising, us, uh, might not think to do. We might see an advertisement on the bus stop and think, well, that's normal. That's where advertisements go. But it's important for us to go, why? Like, it, we might see a soda fountain at school, or a soda fountain, a... Uh, vending machine we may see a soda we may we may see a vending machine at school and think yeah vending machine at school but we don't stop to think why why pepsi why does the pizza come the local pizza company come in and sell pizza during lunch do you remember yeah like we we don't think to ask why those things happen because we're used to them i don't know if you if you were aware of it when we were in school but i remember when um they were bringing more soda vending machines into school and they got students on the side of the vending machines yeah they used students to be like well if, yeah we want we want these things we want these things yep um and it was pretty gross i like obviously look like when i was younger i really didn't give a shit but um looking back I'm like that's pretty gross yeah that's a gross thing to do for sure um, but what I think is important about this episode is, is that while, as Guo says, the residents of Lawndale might be capitalism worshipping, part of that comes from the fact that it's everywhere. It's inescapable. In this episode, you end up having sympathy for a lot of the characters simply because there is no way out for them. How are they going to fund the school? Right. You're kind of like, fuck. Like, if they want to have a school, they need to have funding and the voters don't care because they're worried about their property taxes. So, like, what are they supposed to do? This feeds in so well with the story of Jody. Mm-hmm. And going around and having to get a loan and then using her father as yeah. a way to get, but after being like, that's such bullshit. Yeah. It's like one of those things like, you can't take a stand and if you want to get what you want at sometimes like sometimes you just don't you can't take the stand that you want yeah and i think that's something that becomes clear with the show later as it goes on is is the fact that that's that that's where that cynicism that mm-hmm. disaffectiveness comes from is not because you know gen x doesn't give a shit about anything it's actually gen x gives a lot it cares a lot they care a lot about things daria fucking cares about things but the reason that she's sarcastic and uh and cold is because she has no power to affect change because she's a kid yeah I think both capitalism and consumerism are mocked in Daria, and since consumerism is associated with capitalism, it's possible to read the show as taking an anti-capitalist viewpoint. But I also feel that's a little bit generous. I 100% Uh, agree. Whatever the beliefs of the creators might be, I think in being from Daria's perspective, and because she is at times misanthropic, her focus seems to be on individuals participating in society rather than the systems that create society. I think that it would be difficult for the show to be anti-capitalist but really easy to commodify anti-consumerism. Absolutely. I mean, this, and I do this too. I want to be clear when I talk about this kind of stuff. I'm not saying I'm above it or outside of it. Like one of my biggest, the things I can, one of the things I complain about so frequently is book talk. <laughs> Let me tell you. And Missy I can, hates book talk. I do. I could take her favorite book and put it on book talk. She'd be like, well, I guess I have to take, like, I guess I have to really think about this, don't I? Yeah. It's just, <laughs> I get really frustrated with the performativity of it. 
Uh, I get really frustrated with like the fact that some books are uplifted while others are ignored entirely. And uh, so I get frustrated at the individuals perpetuating that, even though I don't, and I should be getting frustrated at the structures that make that participation necessary or encouraged. And now it's going leaking into me sending a picture to Missy of uh, a Target where there's a whole section called Book Talk. Yeah. And I that's sh- happening at like Barnes and Noble and things like that. And I should I'm be, sorry. I should be getting mad at the structures that, that encourage this rather than getting mad at the individuals that do it. There but is... like, fuck, I'm a human too, you yeah. know? <laughs> um, so let's talk about pessimism. Um, I'm going to actually open this with a, with a section, this section with a quote that I love from Ursula K. Le Guin. You just love Ursula I d- K. Le Guin. That's because she's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, the trouble, this is the quote, the trouble is that we have a bad habit encouraged by pedants and sophisticates of considering happiness as something rather stupid. Only pain is intellectual, only evil interesting. This is the reason, the treason of the artist, a refusal to admit the banality of evil and the terrible boredom of pain. If you can't lick them, join them. If it hurts, <laughs> repeat it. But to praise despair is to condemn delight. To embrace violence is to lose hold of everything else. We have almost lost hold. We can no longer describe a happy man nor make any celebration celebration of joy. And this is a quote from The Wind's 12 Quarters, Volume 1. Um, this quote is often used to push back against the idea that negativity, however you want to characterize that negativity, whether it's pessimism, cynicism, or something else entirely. But note that Le Guin does not use the word pessimism anywhere in this quote. She talks about joy and happiness and despair, but those are not one-to-one to pessimism. Pessimism is the attitude that the worst will always happen, that the world is as bad as it can be, or that evil will triumph in the end. This can lead to feeling defeated and apathetic because what's the point of doing anything to change things if it can't get any better? As you might have gathered, I don't find pessimism to be an especially useful or good way of thinking about things in a general sense. Can I ask a question quickly? Yes. So when talking about pessimism, pessimism, would it be the same of the idea of like, well, don't do anything because there's nothing we can change. And um, the world sucks so much and it should change, but I'm choosing not to do anything. Yes. Like, so that's a mixture. That is a mixture of pessimism and apathy. Okay. Cause so like what I'm thinking of is like the COVID people who are like zero COVID and there's no way that people are going to change and I'm just going to complain about it, but not do anything to change it. Um. Yeah. I also think that, there's there's other sides to this with regard to covid like yeah i'm just using that as a a very relevant current example but like um same thing with like global warming Mm -hmm. or um capitalism or things like that so pessimism with regard to global warming would be nothing's going to change period Mm -hmm. uh, apathy would be i don't care about it because there's nothing I can do. That's a mixture of apathy and pessimism. So um, if you're complaining that nothing's going to change and then never do it, uh, and that it should change and doing nothing about it, is that still pessimism? It's hard to say because pessimism, pessimism specifically is the worldview and it's a teleological worldview again, which assumes some sort of um, explanation for why it won't change, whether mm-hmm. that's people are inherently evil, okay. people are inherently greedy. That is pessimism. Okay. Um, so if if I say global warming will never be solved because people are inherently greedy, that's pessimistic. Okay. If I say global warming is real and nothing's ever going to change, so why bother doing anything about it? That's closer to uh, that's closer to apathy. apathy. Okay. Um, 
So like I said, as you may have gathered, I do not find pessimism to be an especially useful or good way of thinking about things in a general sense, especially because my brain naturally tends toward pessimism and it doesn't need any help in that department. Do you think that it does that because that's just uh, like your brain or do you think it does that because of the culture in which we live in? Both. Okay. It's a mixture of environmental factors and my upbringing and uh, a general sense of like, sometimes I feel like I know too much. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's fair. Is that why you get so upset about like when people get pessimistic or something? Because you, you get really mad when people are, are like that, right? Is it because you fight it yourself and so it's like you feel extra angry about it? I don't need any help. I do not need any help feeling bad about the world. I'm really good at it. It's probably one of the things I'm best at in the world. Uh, I have to make a lot of efforts and not be a pessimist every fucking day of my life. Um, But this is a really important but. Uh, Pessimism isn't useless, right? It isn't inherently bad. I think that Le Guin is very purposeful in talking about this sort of celebration and idolization of despair as opposed to pessimism, which can be useful. One example of this is Afro-pessimism, which is a critical framework that examines how much of our society depends on the exploitation, degradation, and literal death of black people. Mm. It is very heavy, it is very pessimistic, but it is deliberately so. It forces us to be frank and negative to address the ugliness our society is built on rather than to feel comforted that things are getting better. The Afro-pessimist view is, and I'm not an Afro-pessimist scholar, I really don't know that much about Afro-pessimism, so please don't defer to me as an expert. But the idea of Afro-pessimism is that if we say like, oh, we're making gains in race relations, we're ignoring the fact that our society is literally built on black death um the invocation of pessimism the idea that there is a explanation for why things are as bad as they are is purposeful and productive in the case of afro pessimism the explanation is that society is fucking racist right (laughs) that is invoking pessimism in that name is purposeful Mm -hmm. it is good to identify the explanation for why society treats black people the way it does. And one of those reasons is racism. Um, But that isn't always the case, right? As we mentioned, pessimism can lead to apathy, which means that a person feels nothing and definitely doesn't feel moved to change things. If you truly believe that things are as terrible, that things are terrible and are meant to be terrible, what reason do you have to work towards something else? (laughs) This this paired with my, like how sometimes I feel about like, well, nothing matters is terrifying. Right. Like if I felt like nothing, like my whole Oh, like we've talked about this in the past like oh my god nothing matters so what's the point of having a house what's the point of having friends mm-hmm. like all that stuff if I paired that with this I'd just be like well fuck it exactly it's terrifying to me Um, so the question for me is we might describe Daria as pessimistic because she's certainly not an optimist but is that accurate so this is a quote from Daria Alienation and the Limits of Irony which is a video the link will be in our just in our Uh, show notes Uh, Marxist alienation is a perfect description of Daria's life in the upper middle class suburbs of Lawndale a suffocating mix of McMansions neatly manicured lawns textureless shopping malls and an all-consuming sense of complacency a suburban tableau where everything is in its right place and everything is as it should be Daria dared to ask whether this vision of American style success was actually worth living for so 
uh, Saba, who created the video, goes on to use a clip from the show where Daria says she doesn't want to spend her whole life in a job she hates because she picked it when she was still a teenager. At first glance, this sounds like pessimism, like she's already set on the worst possible thing happening to her, right? Uh, but I don't think that's accurate. By acknowledging that it's a possibility, one that applies to most people, she is by default acknowledging that such a fate isn't guaranteed. Unlike, and this comes from the alienation that she experiences. Unlike most people she knows, Daria sees the artifice where she lives. I would argue that Daria's worldview is closer to cynicism, which, again, a word I misuse. Um, <laughs> cynicism, both in the philosophical and contemporary sense. I've talked so much about all these things. I'm trying to get them all mixed up. Uh, philosophical cynicism is the is the view that life should be lived in virtue and agreement with nature, which can mean everything from staying true to your values, something that we know Daria cares about, even uh, even if she doesn't always adhere to it. It can mean everything from staying true to those values to forgoing worldly possessions. Probably not likely for Daria. Um, very briefly, Wikipedia uses Diogenian to refer to Daria, which means derived from the philosophy of Diogenes. Uh, Diogenes <laughs> As was, if that makes more sense. <laughs> Diogenes was one of the first cynics, capital C cynics, um, and was famed for spending his time in Athens uh and talking about how shitty and corrupt everything was. He also believed virtue should be expressed through action, not theory, mm -hmm. and made a vow of poverty to truly live to his live, live his beliefs to their fullest. He famously lived in a, just a big clay jar in, in <laughs> Athens. Um, his brutal honesty did, in fact, reveal some ugly truths about Greece. And I think that while Daria doesn't nearly go so far as Diogenes, of course, the, com the comparison is apt. Diogenes could also be quite funny in his opposition to society. Uh, Plato at one point made a tongue-in-cheek definition for a man as being a featherless biped. What Di is a biped? Uh, two, walks on two legs. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, so Diogenes plucked a chicken and said, behold, I have brought you a man. Imagine ancient Greek Daria delivering this line. It's perfect. Like, I think Dio Diogenian is a perfect, uh, a perfect way to describe Daria, even if she's not as extreme in her views. Um, as time went on, cynicism came to be associated with its negative traits more than its positive traits, which is where we get modern cynicism, which focuses more on believing that people are motivated by greed or vanity and are therefore untrustworthy. I think Daria also fits the second definition, which is why she's so acerbic. She says as much herself multiple times. She's afraid of being hurt by others, so she pushes mm -hmm. them away by being nasty. Mm -hmm. um, if Daria were truly a pessimist, she wouldn't have reason to bother spe with speaking out about things like the soda advertisement. If she's cynical, especially in the philosophical sense, it is her duty to speak out about it. Like It is... It is imperative that she speak out about those things rather than just letting them happen. So is cynicism more political than pessimism? It, it depends on which version of the word you're using. Mm -hmm. Because cynicism is a belief that you must live true to yourself in the philosophical sense. Whatever your beliefs are, you must be true to them. Have we, have we changed this cynicism in this meaning, like we have uh, criticism in that yes. sounds cynicism in modern terms in modern terms means to believe that something is uh, that people are inherently greedy or immoral or whatever. That's how we commonly use cynicism cynic. today. Yeah. Um, somebody who believes in the worst. A cynic, a cynic today is often interchangeable with a pessimist, mm -hmm. but they actually have different meanings. Um, this is a quote from COVID's the 90s neoliberal fantasia as experienced by Daria Morgendorf for millennial. Um, how could you care about anything, believe in anything, be surrounded by adults telling you that this is the best things have, have been in years on top of having to be a high school student and not be cynical and being openly cynical when the whole world was telling you to shut up and smile was, if not actually constructive, at least maybe a little brave. 
While MTV was doing its damnedest to monetize cynical teens, Daria was the rare teenage property that seemed to understand them. Mm-hmm. So this video really gets to the heart of why Daria was perfect for the time and place in which it was created. It is hard to not be cynical and to live in a world where, yeah, you're sandwiched between the Cold War and 9-11, but there's a hole in the ozone layer and you're becoming increasingly aware of global warming and there's still conflict overseas that you can't do anything about. And none of the adults seem to care because at least they have money. Yeah. How can you not be cynical in that situation? How can you not think that people must be greedy and untrustworthy when people are showing you at every turn that they are greedy and untrustworthy? I think that was even, I, I would agree. I think that was even more, it was easy, even more easy to feel that way after 9-11 when we saw that the response was, well, bomb them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this then is, we this find is from out the that co- was lying. This the is from the generation that brought us peace and love. Yeah. Right. And then um, to find out they were lying about weapons of mass destruction. Sure. I mean, it just, yeah. It definitely bred cynicism. And this video makes a really important point about MTV, too. Yes, MTV aired the show, but let's be cynical and assume it wasn't out of the goodness of their hearts. It was because it allowed them to monetize the cool cynicism of teenagers of the day. Even if Daria, the show, got its audience on a deeper level, MTV cared about money. And this was a great way to monetize youth alienation, which brings us to the reboots. (laughs) Um, even aside from some of the weird changes. So they're, they're doing a reboot of Daria, which is going to be about Jody. Justice for Jody. But uh, it's going to take place now with no changes. So Jody's now Gen Z. Uh, even aside from some of those weird changes, like the, the pitch for it is like Daria and her great friend Jody. Since when are they great friends? They don't yeah. hate each other. No, Jody was like her um, go-to when everyone else was like so. When Jane wasn't there, and yeah, everyone else was stupid. Yeah, why are we making Jodies at Gen Z? I just it's it's just kind of weird to me to return to this show twenty five years later when I feel like it is very rooted in the time and place of the mid nineties. It also feels weird to to like oh her good friend Daria when it's like Jody can stand on her own. Yeah, <laughs> Jody can stand. Jody and Matt can stand on their own. Yeah. Um. So this is another quote from that video: "Covid's the nineties neoliberal neoliberal fantasia as experienced by Daria Morgendorf for millennial." Um, Daria made sense in an idiom that no longer exists. Jaded sarcasm isn't brave in 2020. It's the path of least resistance for edgy chamlords. It does not imply a deep and abiding morality. This is the new sincerity generation. Nowadays, bravery is being a gender nonconforming socialist queerdo who refuses to let the ugliness of the world close them off from human connection. Side note, the vi- creator of this video uses a clip from Steven Universe hmm. in this part of the video. And young people don't feel trapped by the future because nobody believes in the future anymore. So this is a bleak outlook, right? But I think it is true. The cynicism and sarcasm that made Daria feel unique in a sea of uplifting media is now popular and easy. It's South Park's whole thing, Mm -hmm. right? South Park has been on for like 20 fucking seasons, probably more. Um It is no longer associated with the very clear morality of Daria's character. And as I discovered while watching it, it's actually hard to watch Daria being more familiar with South Park, etc., without feeling like the whole thing has to be disingenuous. This is what we call irony poisoning, even though that's typically assigned to people who behave this way. I, too, am irony poisoned in that I watch something being deliberate and something being cynical, but purposely so. And I think and I have to correct myself out of thinking that's disingenuous. Hmm. Um, 
where I'm like, everyone's genuine. <laughs> Everyone means well. Um, I think this video makes a great point about how that kind of attitude is no longer groundbreaking. But I also hesitate to say that sincerity is the new mode of operation. I think four or five years ago, sure. Now I'm not certain. Millennial earnestness is no longer cool. See the backlash to popularity of words like heckin' and doggo and the rise of calling things cringe. We are not invested in sincerity. We are not. People got burnt out on it. Yeah. I think we might be swinging back in the opposite direction. And that actually makes me wonder if this Dario slash Jody reboot will aim to hit that. I hope that if it does, it'll maintain the core part of Daria that does care about the world, even if she's not good at expressing it. So I think something that would be is going to be interesting to watch as we watch this the shift that you're talking about is specifically social media influencers and the younger generation. I know at least... A year to two years ago, um, it was like within the very young Gen Z. I'm talking about like, you know, the now they're probably like in their 20s, right? Um, their social media was a lot of um, photo dumps of like shitty photos. Yeah. Just shitty photos, right? And it felt genuine. And now that doesn't really feel genuine anymore. And now we're seeing, at least I'm seeing a little bit more of these highly stylized different types of um, social media pop back up. So that genuineness, I think, is going away. But was it ever genuine? There, Well, I mean, there was that whole thing with the with the be real, the social media where you were just supposed to post a, oh, yeah. a shot of what you were doing in that moment. It got very, very popular for a brief period of time. Yeah. And now we're back. Well, now we're having like imploding, like where we are today, November 6th 2022 we have the meltdown of twitter with elon musk now as ceo we have uh facebook spiraling down the drain or meta spiraling down the drain which includes instagram <sighs> you have tiktok potentially being banned in the u.s being discussed in congress with bipartisan support um nobody under the age of 40 uses facebook on a regular basis i'm sorry that was a generalization but you know what i mean um like Based off generations uh this is uh it's hard to say like you can't say anything factually like you can't it be is, like it's always this way it is interesting there's a couple um good articles and like i think there was a couple twitter threads but there's a lot of um interesting things written about the kardashians and their ability to um penetrate the for that's not the best word but whatever um a younger generation because they're so rooted in a very specific type of generation and how they're going to do that and the way in which they're consistently changing their social media in mm -hmm. a way to do it like uh there's they're not do like obviously they do well on tiktok right because they're they're kardashians but they're not doing as well as they could be doing yeah all that's of this stuff shifts over time yeah. and i feel like this <laughs> I think four or five years ago, you could absolutely have said that this generation values sincerity and earnestness um, and use Steven Universe to talk about that. But then you, again, you see the way that I don't I honestly, I don't know many people my age who earnestly say heckin and doggo. No, um, but I do know that that is a perception of people my age and that people younger people respond to that by calling it cringe mm -hmm. and like i don't give a fuck what's cringe i'm 34 fucking years old i'm cringe that's a fact i'm not cool i'm 34 uh um, i think you're cool thank you you're also 34 um <laughs> you know that old but i'm older than you you know that saying of like don't trust anybody over the age of 30 like i fucking agree i'm the man now you know i'm 34 um 
but like i i don't <laughs> i the, there's this case to be made that like the new generation is is more sincere is more in touch is more caring and folks i hate to tell you about puritans but they're out there I think the idea of the carrot younger generation caring teens can go right out the window with these real young kids. They're vicious. Well, it's not just that because you can be vicious from a place of caring. Yeah. But it's the idea that like, oh, well, the youth are more engaged. They're more engaged politically. They care more about like queer identity and that kind of thing. Yeah. And then they go and attack people for not conforming to the correct idea of what queerness is. And I don't mean this like, Gen Z's bad. I'm not saying that because I think that those gen- those <laughs> generalizations are bullshit. I'm saying you do. <laughs> I'm saying that because we're trying to uh, pass on the idea that youth will save us when like youth is youth. If you want, we were see- fucking stupid when we were teenagers. Why do we think today's teenagers are not? <laughs> if you want to see a really bad, like good bad example of like the youth will save us, and it's something like if you're talking to talk about cringe, at least for me, is the Taylor Swift song uh, only the young which is only the young can run like like run for congress and like oh boy. it's all about how the youth are going to save us and it is um for me personally the the thing with like the the youth will save us feels more um of a cop out of yeah. like the, i have to do anything that's why i don't like it because that just means that you don't have to do anything right when you're like oh well the youth they, they got they got our back for me, I hate that because it means oh, so that you're going to do nothing. Greta Thunberg shouldn't have to throw away her childhood because we have failed her. Yes. She should get to have a fucking childhood. Yeah. It is not It is not her responsibility to save the world. And be just horribly treated for it. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about feminism. feminism. Lucy's uh, favorite. I don't think this is going to come as a surprise to anybody that Daria is sometimes referred to as a feminist character. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to be shocked by that. I can see why she challenges some gender norms and expectations and refuses to conform in an era where a particular kind of bubbly girliness was the norm. See Brittany Uh, and Quinn for that matter. Uh, She does occasionally talk about feminist issues and she was an inspiration to a generation of people who question societal expectations, including those around gender. But is that enough? Can we call her feminist? Well, I think Missy may have a brand new idea on this. <laughs> Shocking everybody. I actually think Daria is super feminist. No, that's sarcasm. I didn't actually sarcasm, do a very good job. Baby. I didn't do a very good job of lowering my voice and speaking slower to deliver that. Yeah. If someone had, if this is the first time someone's listening to us, they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and and I'm like, sorry. If this is like your hundredth time listening to us, you're like, oh, here, <laughs> here we go again. Here we go again. Uh, this is a quote from you standing on my neck, feminist cynicism and queer antisociality in MTV's Daria by Robin Alex McDonald. After finally coaxing Daria into revealing her school photo in an episode titled The Misery Chick, Helen exasperatedly asks Daria if she could, quote, just once smile when and somebody takes that takes her picture. Unquote. Daria responds indignantly, indignantly that she does not, quote, like to smile unless she has a reason, unquote. Although Helen's pleas and persuasion continue, quote, Daria, people judge you by your expressions, unquote. Daria remains firm. Yes, she retorts, and I believe there is something intrinsically wrong with that system. I have dis- dedicated myself to changing it. <laughs> Though Daria's pseudo-righteousness comes off as sarcasm, her idea of changing a system wherein women and femme folks are assigned value based on their outward expressions and appearances is shared by many feminist writers, thinkers, and activists. Shula Smith Firestone, a radical feminist and author of the dialectic 
of sex, the case for feminist revolution, for example, once called for a smile boycott wherein women would only smile when something pleased, pleased them rather than smiling to please others. As both Daria and Firestone make clear, smiling is not only a feminized act, but a pro- profoundly social one as well. Smiling functions to calibrate the self to the external world. It's a way of present, quote, presenting a self that attuned to others, unquote, in the interest of sustaining s- social relations and regulating effective atmospheres. You did it. Sorry, that was, ugh, again, this text is so small. It is really small. And this is not a short quote. No. Uh, Not smiling when asked seems like a relatively small thing, but as McDonald points out, there's a lot of political baggage tied up in the expectation that that women will smile. Smiling is a social behavior, it's attractive, and it is seen as feminine. To not smile when asked, even for a photo, is a rejection of all that political baggage. Daria refuses to engage in this pro-social behavior for the comfort of others because she doesn't feel like smiling. She refuses to be attractive to others if it doesn't suit who she is, and she rejects that her womanhood is predicated on her friendliness or the appearance of that friendliness. On the one hand, I think this is all abundantly true of Daria. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, uh, Daria's personality is such that it's hard to read whether she has chosen not to smile for a photo because she doesn't feel like it and the political statement came later. Uh, Her personality is abrasive and sarcastic, and as the show goes on, we see more pushback on that, which forces her to be more genuine in her interactions. The thing is, it's hard to know whether someone really believes if they conduct themselves with... It's hard to know what someone really believes if they conduct themselves with sarcasm all the time. Mm -hmm. That's a coping mechanism, which is addressed in the show. And while it might be relatable, it does sometimes prevent us from knowing how much of what Daria does is based on her genuine interest and how much of it is facetious, especially in light of how she and the narrative sometimes treat others. I Uh, think if this were remade, there would be... Daria would be so depressed. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Uh, This is another quote from You're Standing on My Neck by Robin Alex McDonald. As Daria's female fans of color make clear, Daria's queer feminist politics are far from intersectional. In addition to the character's omission of race from most of her social critiques, she also suggested the mutual exclusiveness of sex work and feminism. This is a quote. Uh, People call me a feminist anytime I express sentiments that differentiate me from a doormat or a prostitute, unquote. Made fat-phobic statements about her neighbor, Mrs. Johansson, and regularly took aim at other women for their feminine rituals expressions, blaming them for performing what patriarchy itself prescribed. However, none of this is to say that the many sound critiques that Daria did make of capitalism, of patriarchy, of heteronormativity should be dismissed entirely. Daria's continued status as a feminist television icon and the frequency with which she is cited as many viewers and young young female femme viewers in particular uh, introduction to feminist thought demands that her feminism be taken seriously as far as a far reaching and influential popular discourse. I appreciate the nuance of this essay because Daria definitely was a foundation for questioning social norms for a lot of people. Daria is often right about things that relate directly to her, but Daria and the show often fail to look beyond the experience of an upper middle class white woman. I cannot tell you as a kid who grew up poor, but as a kid who grew up as a white woman, um, Oh my God, Daria's house is so big. (laughs) She can have anything she wants what the fuck? Like spend money on cat food? Yeah. Oh, I can't. I can't. I cannot deal with how wealthy Daria is. And like so wealthy that her dad really doesn't need to work. No. Like her mom <laughs> is like uh, halfway through the show, like makes partner or is like on the road to making yeah. partner. And like her mom is really wealthy, which I appreciate. Yes. Yeah. I appreciate that her mom is the money maker. Well, 
there's a flip side to that, Mary, which is the fact that she doesn't care for her family at all. But I think she grows into caring more for her family. And I thought I appreciated that as well. She does. But it's also like there's there's a and I'll talk more about this later. Her position is literally emasculating to Jake. And the show is playing into that perception that a woman a woman in power is emasculating to her husband. A woman cannot make money and care for her family. It's playing into that even at the same time sure. that it's critical of it. I, I agree. But I think at the time, I I can appreciate what it was doing at the time. See, that's the thing is that's the popular the popular thing in media at the time. When you look at movies from the 80s and even like the Stepford Wives reboot is the perfect example. But that came in, I think, the 2000s. Um, the idea that, you know, women wore shoulder pads and w- didn't care for their families because they were too busy in the work. And that was a yeah. defiance of gender norms. I see. I, I totally see what you're saying. I guess when I look at when I look at her mom I see something different I see a woman who is trying to do it all and I see a woman who is trying to care for her kids because I think she she does like when she's worried about like different things she and she does care about her kids I saw somebody who do does who really cares but is still trying to do it all so I guess when I look at her mom I see something different how does she here's my question how does she prioritize things well she I think she questions the way in which she prioritizes things as she goes on and I and I like that she she is questioning that she's like oh, you know does she get is she great at it no but I think that she's questioning it and she does try. It's hard for me because this is a sitcom. Yeah, sure. so it changes from episode to episode. Sometimes she's very caring. Sometimes she doesn't give a shit, and it's hard. But for- I think that is part of the the struggle. Sure, but this is not a real person that we're talking sure. about. This is a constructed thing in a show about a disaffected teenager who is critical of everybody around Mm her. And I don't I feel like sometimes the show is like Helen is trying and sometimes the show is like Helen is a bitch. (laughs) And therefore, I cannot say I feel positively about the portrayal of Helen because it falls into so many things, so many ideologies that were popular at that time. The idea that... um, Women who women in the workforce, especially women who are breadwinners, emasculate their husbands. Jake is not happy. Jake has problems specifically with his masculinity. A lot of the men on the show have problems with their masculinity. Um, and part of part of that, I think, comes from his discomfort with not being the breadwinner, which also comes from his you know, childhood trauma of having like a father who forced him into uncomfortable mm-hmm. gender roles and that kind of thing. But there, it doesn't, it doesn't delve into those enough for me to say like Helen is a positive character. I think that's fair, and I don't necessarily say I'm not necessarily saying that she's a positive character because I think that she definitely has a lot to learn. But I, me looking at her, the the experience that I got was somebody trying to do it all, and I and I enjoyed watching her character. Mm-hmm. And I and I when I watch her, I think I didn't think negatively of her i didn't think oh she's a bad mom i i saw somebody who was trying to do it all and didn't always get it right the thing is i can't think of examples we're getting lost in the weeds here i can't think of examples i mean there are times when she stands up for daria but is there a time when she sets work aside yeah they go and they well i guess she ends up talking on the phone later but i there's i can't remember what episode it is but there's a moment where she's like oh no I have prioritized my work over my family. Let's go do something. I can't remember which one it is. Is it when they go camping? Well, that's when she ends up on drugs. 
but she tried. <laughs> but it wasn't her fault. She didn't know. Well, she didn't know about the drugs, but she did have her cell phone with her, which she denied everybody else access to. Yeah, sure. But and I agree with that. I agree. She doesn't do it right, but my that was my experience watching her. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a pessimist, so yeah. I saw her like you know Daria like begrudgingly wanting to have these like conversations and like get advice from her mom or when her mom read the story that Daria wrote about their family in the future and she's crying like those are the things that I remember about her mom like all of those things are true my problem is that she's a stereotype she's a 90s and 80s stereotype sure and I I cannot I cannot bring myself to praise the characterization as of of a stereotype and be like well sometimes she did it right I think that's fair. This just wasn't my experience of Mm -hmm. it. Well, like I said, I'm a pessimist. So (laughs) Uh, aside from a few notable exceptions that we'll discuss in a bit, the show largely treats Daria's experience as universal, but it isn't. Not everybody has the privilege that Daria has from multiple perspectives, especially to push back on societal norms. While that does get discussed in the context of the show, as well as Daria's judginess, there are certain things that don't. As McDonald mentions, the fat phobia is pervasive and never addressed. Daria seems to have a very second wave attitude towards sex work, and I don't think ableism ever comes up at all. Um, all of those things would make the show better, but wanting something to be better is not the same thing as saying that it's bad. For many people, watching a show on MTV that introduced them to alternate ways of looking at the world was a really great thing for their future development, and we can be positive about that even if we say, even as we say that the show failed in a lot of ways. That said, I think it is important to note that while Daria might introduce people to feminism or anti-consumerism or other ideologies, it's up to the individual to keep learning beyond that. When the show doesn't give people the tools to interrogate fat phobia or ableism, it's less effective. Because fat fat phobia, ableism, um, all kinds of things, like those things are part of feminism to me. And again, this comes from me coming of age in third wave feminism, which was focused on intersectionality, whereas Daria seems to have come of age during second wave Mm -hmm. feminism, where intersectionality was not as big of a focus. Um, I also think there's a self-consciousness to the narrative of Daria in that, yes, Daria can be read as this feminist anti-consumerist heroine, but it's not perfect. It is fat phobic at times. It only engages with race a handful of times. And there's some regression. Then this is where I was talking about this. There's some regression in terms of Daria's mother and father. On the one hand, that regressiveness could be intentional, as in it's pointing toward them as toward her parents as emblematic of how the stereotype of success doesn't result in happiness. But on the other hand, there doesn't seem to be any attempt to point to it as satirical just evidence that daria is always right daria is always right about everything including her parents um that's a point where the show kind of stumbles for me because it's pretty much just daria and some dead philosophers versus the world even when daria was wrong jane let her not apologize yeah (laughs) jane's such a good friend i know um or is she because she lets daria get away with that um It's sometimes hard to distinguish between society has problems that go beyond the space of this show and Daria is right all the time. Um, This is another quote from your standing on my neck feminist feminist cynicism and queer antisociality in MTV's Daria by Robin Alex McDonald. Nevertheless, as Ahmed also points out, some bodies more than others can be attributed as the cause of unhappiness. While subversive in some ways, Daria, as a character and as a show, also has significant limitations, the most crucial of which is the show's overwhelming whiteness, as numerous bloggers of color have pointed out. 
Indeed, the humor, wit, and sympathetic nature of Daria's misery is largely enabled by the character's whiteness and other normative axes of identity. When Daria speaks out, her, her consciousness-raising wisdom is sage, but as Odra Lord argues, quote, when women of color speak out, the anger that, faces, that laces so many of our contacts with white women, we are often told that we are creating a mood of hopelessness, preventing white women from getting past guilt or standing in the way in the way of trusting communication and action, unquote. I think the show does attempt to engage with Daria's privilege at times, typically through Jody, and most explicitly in the episode Gifted, where both Jody and Daria are selected to attend a school for d- gifted students. <laughs> Daria rags on it, as she is wont to do, until Jody points out that it must be nice to be able to do to be so publicly cynical. Even if Jody agrees with her, she doesn't have the freedom to speak her mind the way that Daria does because everyone will see her blackness first. She'll be an example of an angry black woman rather than someone who's fed up with the status quo, which McDonald illustrates here with the Odra Lord quote. When black women speak up, we we tell them they're being divisive. When a white woman does it, it's insightful, it's brilliant, it's hilarious. Which I guess raises a question for me. If Daria wasn't thin, white, privileged, able-bodied, straight, and so on, would the show be as successful? I don't think so. No, I don't, I don't either. I super don't think so. She, uh, She's a woman, which is one axis of oppression, but that gives her the power to speak authorita- authoritatively about women, though she still leans on fat phobia and being anti-sex work. I mean, look at her, how she originally was in Boots and Butthead. I don't know if you saw the pictures. Of what she looked like yeah. originally, but she's frumpy. Yeah. They had to change it. Mm-hmm. I think MTV is trying to answer this question by announcing a Daria reboot slash continuation that will be about Jody, but I don't know. I think they're trying to capture... They're trying to capture... MTV is always <laughs> consistently right now trying to capture a youth in which they'll never be able to capture like yeah. they did in the in the you know 90s and early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, this is a quote from On Race, Feminism, and Jody Landon by Lois. Uh, I look forward to the new to the few seconds or minutes when Jody gets screen time. Besides comfortably going toe to toe with Daria, Jody is point blank about Lawndale's almost blinding whiteness and so freaking meta meta about about her status as a token black character that it hurts. Daria may snark endlessly about buying into the patriarchal system and everyone's general need to get a clue, but Jody's cynicism runs on a deeper level because she knows that she can and most likely will be collateral damage of the same system Daria may only marginally suffer. Daria can walk away relatively unscathed, or if she chooses to be continually vocal about her complaints, there is always some kind of sympathetic space for her as a white woman. The same doesn't hold for Jody. So, Jody is a necessary character in this series, but I also don't think she got the attention she really needed to fix some of the show's issues. I appreciate whenever Jody is on screen providing an alternative viewpoint because audiences really needed to hear that Daria wasn't the only person feeling the way she does, but that Jody doesn't have the but Jody also doesn't have the luxury of essentially being a brat to cope. I was really impressed with how they handled Jody. I was too to a point. <laughs> of course. <laughs> because I feel like pointing toward Jody and Max's position as token characters, but letting them remain as occasional background characters is some is sometimes giving the show a veneer of progressiveness yeah. that may be unearned. I think that I think that's accurate. Looking like looking looking back, you're like, oh yeah. But I bet in, in the time it would have felt like, you know, oh wow, I can't believe they're talking about this. Sure, and I'm impressed that they even would. But I agree, it's one of those things that makes it feel a little worse for me. <laughs> they're literally talking about being tokenized. And then you continue to tokenize them. I think the problem with that for me is that's the joke and that sucks. Yeah. 
Um, as good as Jody's speech and gifted is, there are times when Jody seems to be more of an obstacle to Daria than her than a character in her own right. Uh, I think that that there is room for both Jody's need to fit in and Daria's cynicism to coexist and be foils to one another. But the show does privilege Daria's view to the exclusion of Jody's, with Jody often appearing as like not an antagonist, but an irritant, such as when they argue over Jody using her father's name to get a loan to pass the project that they're working on together. Jody's presence there makes this extremely valid point of they won't give me a loan until they find out who my father is. And then to have her use that to her advantage and then have Daria call her out on it. Is it right for Daria to call her out on that? I mean, I think that Daria lacks the um, knowledge to know that maybe yeah. it's not the best way I to agree. handle that. I agree. But does the show know that? I would hope so. I don't know because <laughs> the show positions Daria as right most of the time. It does not interrogate Daria's response in, to that. Instead, they have this conversation where uh, I can't remember exactly what's said. So take this with a grain of salt. But it's something to the effect of maybe that guy wasn't racist. No, I think that guy was fucking racist. He was racist. Yeah, I remember watching that and I, and I came out of it feeling um, I was happy the way that Jody handled it. And what I frustrated me was in the end, it almost kind of felt like Daria was right. Mm-hmm. Like Daria, she didn't double down and she acknowledged like, hey, well, the way I handled it, it was bad. But I don't feel like she ever really acknowledged why. And and like her fundamental belief of standing up for your beliefs in that situation didn't change. Yeah. Um, I At think to me. I think Jody brings an important perspective to the show, but I'm also wary of giving it too much praise for someone who I think has less screen time than Brittany. This is true. I but, cannot. But Jody's not funny, right? I cannot bend over. Ba- she can be funny. She, no, she is funny. I, I cannot bend over backwards to say this show is so progressive by having Jody when Jody gets less sp- screen time. Than I want to make clear. I don't think the show's progressive. I'm impressed that it was there because yeah. I don't think it was very progressive. <laughs> yeah. At least when it came to that stuff, like I didn't expect to see um, Jody or. I don't even know her name, which is probably. Uh, <laughs> um, and I believe she might be Stacy. Stacy. Or is that the other girl that's in love with Quinn? I'm not sure. Anyways. Um, or Jane. I'm pretty sure Jane is is half Asian. Um, Jane and Trent. Um, I'm impressed that they were there because I don't think it really was a super. Pro- I would never look at Daria and say that's super progressive. I would look at it and say like um, it challenged things. Yeah, I agree. I think it is. I think it is a show that was like good for for the time period, and I think in some senses it's good for now. Mm-hmm. Um, I am always hesitant to pr- to praise anything made by a major corporation for doing what I see as the minimum. Because of course they didn't have to. They did anyway. I'm glad they did. I'm thankful that the that the creators of Daria decided to add Jody in and, and have Jody challenge Daria's perspective and straight up say, I could never act like you do because I'm black. Uh, I would be read differently. To have it straight up say that I think is really important and effective and necessary for the audience that was watching Daria. Especially when, like, even now still, some people have a hard time even just saying black. Yeah. <laughs> They'll whisper it. Yeah. I... But in the same way that I refuse to praise Disney for Coco, for for Coco, I love Coco. It's a great movie, but they don't get 
praise when they tried to trademark Day of the Dead. You ready? You ready to for all the the discussion on the new um, Disney princess or superhero that's fat? You ready? Oh, I did see something about <laughs> you ready that. For it's, that? The, it's a Pixar short or something. Yeah, you ready for that? Because I'm not. I'm, I just. I'm not going to engage with any of it because I cannot. I cannot. I just cannot. I I will not provide a major corporation with any uh any praise for doing something so simple i'm glad that they did it this is a separate emotion i'm happy that it exists but they do not get cookies for it it was it only existed because the people who created it proved that it could make money yeah and that comes back to the idea of monetizing and like countercultural attitudes mtv did this because they found a way that they could monetize the feeling of dissatisfaction among the youth culture at the time. They did not do it. MTV, again, I want to be clear. MTV did this because they wanted to make money, not because they felt this is an audience. This is, this is going to change the world. They thought I can put Dari on a t-shirt and make $25. Um, So I will not praise MTV for this. And I will not, (laughs) I will not surprise. I will not operate under the assumption that they did it out of the kindness of their hearts. No. Um, especially when the, you look at MTV now. Yeah. There's no way. <laughs> MTV has fundamentally changed from their initial... Music. Yeah, music-focused TV. Now it's a lot of reality TV that makes more money. Music it's, videos are yeah. sadly a dying art. I love music videos. They are grasping at straws at MTV right now. Um. But the, the the summation here is that I thought Daria was a really good show. Uh, I actually ended up really, really liking it and caring a lot about the people on it. I legit got emotional when Quinn became like a better person. In the yeah. Game. Like I felt super emotional when she was just like being a good person. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, like I never thought I'd feel that way for Quinn. But like watching her grow as slow and minimal as it was <laughs> yeah. felt, felt really good to watch. And like another thing that like I liked was literally seeing more emotion out of Daria, whether that just be like the tone of her voice or in which the way she's how fast she spoke. There is. So funnily enough, the go figure, the person who voices Daria got the job because she was the only woman. That's literally it. She was the only woman <laughs> in the office. Um, that's how she got the job. She's not the greatest voice actor ever but her voice certainly works for Daria but mm-hmm. I will say over time anytime Daria said um was a time to sit up and pay attention Daria is yeah, not oh, a person yeah. who says um when she yes. says um especially in the later seasons something's about to fucking go down because Daria is letting her walls down she's mad usually she's or she's really sad or she's yes. hurt like there's an intensity of emotion that comes in just every time that she uses the word um um <laughs> not so with me for me um is a space filler uh but and now you're gonna laugh every fucking time no I say, i'm not um, i promise i won't see this is what happens when i don't say um is there's just a long silence uh we need to learn to live with our silences no i cannot do that now i don't remember what i was gonna um, say because i'm so focused on saying um i'll say it for you um I think it was, I really like the show and I'm glad it exists. And I don't, the vi- one of the videos, and I'm sorry, I can't remember which one. I think it was the one that started with COVID's um, talks about 
No, maybe it was the other one. I think it was the other one. Talking about how they don't think a reboot is a good idea. And I think I agree. I agree. I just don't think it's it's not... It wouldn't make, it doesn't make sense in my head. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense because if you're making, especially like making them a Gen Z, why make Daria? Yeah. Why not make, I th- think- at least why not make Daria's kids or something, you know? I think there is potential for young audiences today to identify more with the original Daria than we think there would be. Yeah. Um, especially just with the, the way that, you know, perceptions of sincerity and cynicism and pessimism and optimism Mm -hmm. have shifted between our generation or even Gen X and Gen Z. Um, I think that there is potential for relatability there that is unexpected. But I also like why reboot? It's just a cash grab. That's all it is. It's just a cash grab. And having Jody got put on Paramount Plus. Jody being the, the front of it is not out of the kindness of their hearts you know i feel because it it helps yeah it feels bad it might be a good show the reboot could be really good but But there are deliberate choices it feels bad it does not feel it felt like oh shit it doesn't feel genuine the 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 cultural temperature is such that a daria reboot wouldn't work so we have to do Jody without we, questioning why we want to reboot Dari at all. We should reboot it with Brittany. That's the real. And then they should hire Chrissy from TikTok to play her. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a good show. I'm not opposed to a reboot. Maybe it'll be good, but I don't believe that the powers that be have the right, uh, have the kindness in their hearts as a reason to do it. You know, that's my feeling about Daria. Do you have anything else to add? You will never, like, you will never trust a corporation, so you might as well just accept it. All corporations make things, right? Yeah. That's it for this episode, in which we reached few conclusions. Um, you can find hit tw- two hours, though. We didn't. You can find us online at fakeheatgirlscast.com, which has all of our previous episodes. I'd probably recommend the Matrix episodes, where we talked a lot about... Well, how much of Nihilism. a babe Keanu Reeves That's is. important, too. I would also recommend our uh, Animation and Capitalism episode yeah, where we talk a lot about the uh, the experience of making something that is making a statement about capitalism in an industry that loves capitalism. Um, also, shout out to Emily June. Thank you for helping with the transcribing Thank project. You. Uh, if you like this podcast, consider giving us some support on Patreon for a dollar per episode. You can get access to, uh, what do we do for a dollar? All of our Patreon bonus content. Anytime I cut like a weird aside, um, you get that for free. Um, for more, you can get our playlists that we make every month. Or They're so good. Advanced. Sorry that they're all going to be Taylor Swift for a while. Uh, <laughs> At least my half. Uh, Oh, you can also get advanced access to our outlines or for more, you can commission us to do an episode like this one on a topic of your choice because this was a commission. Um, Next time, we're going to talk about Russian Doll. I'm ready. I'm so excited. I started rewatching it last night and it's still really good. What do you think you'll end up talking about? Uh, There's so much, Mary. I can't even I can't even begin. We have to talk about mental health. We have to talk about gender. We have to talk about generational trauma. 
we have to talk about Jewishness, which I neither of us are Jewish. That'll be fun, especially so, right now. Yeah, we're going to do some some research on that. Um, then we are going to take a break for the month of December. So we're not going to record any new episodes in December. I think we'll still... Did we do what we've been up to yeah, last time? Yeah, we did. Last December was rough because my cat was real sick and almost died. Yeah, we we did because we found that when we don't, we have two million year long right. uh, what we've been up to. Okay, so we'll keep doing what we've been up to through December, but we are not going to record any new episodes until the new year, uh, at which point we're going to be doing American Gods, both the show and the book by Missy's Neil Gaiman. Being fed. Yeah. With Russian doll... I don't. I don't like American Gods. Is fine. You the book. Like, I am. I'd be surprised if you dislike the show. There is so much to talk about behind the scenes drama with the show. If only for how the show looks aesthetically. Yeah, you will like it. I feel like. I yeah. feel like you're gonna watch it, and even if you don't like the show, you'll be like, "But it's so pretty to watch." I believe that about it. Um, that's it. All right. Catch you on the flip. Catch you on the flip side, Copin. Yeah. <laughs>